This is Science Friday. I'm musician and writer Dessa, filling in for Ira Flato. Later in the hour, we're going to talk about techno-ableism and how those seemingly inspirational videos about scientific breakthroughs might be muddying the real stories of disability technology. But earlier this month, an FDA panel agreed that a common decongestant ingredient, phenylephrine, which is found in drugs like Sudafed and NyQuil, doesn't work. And this pains me as a NyQuil fan, fam. While the panel agreed that phenylephrine isn't dangerous, it doesn't work any better than a placebo. Which made us wonder, how well do placebos work? And how come they work even when people know they're getting a placebo? Here to talk more about the current landscape of placebo research is my guest, Ted J. Kapchuk, professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and director of Placebo Studies and Therapeutic Encounter at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Welcome to Science Friday. Thanks for having me. Okay, can I ask, the FDA panel's pronouncement on the phenylephrine, you know, the, the, the objection was that this substance wasn't working any better than a placebo. How did you respond when you first heard that news break? When I heard that, the question is, how did they know there was a placebo effect? The data is really coming from two very good randomized controlled trials that tested phenylephrine versus a placebo, and there was no difference. But what was in that placebo is more than just placebo effects. Common colds with congestion go away by themselves. The only way you would know it was a placebo effect is if you had a third arm that actually had just watch and wait, no treatment. And you would say, oh, is the placebo treatment more than nothing? And nothing is not doing anything. Giving a placebo includes the rituals, the symbols, and the acts of human kindness that are surrounding pills. That's hugely helpful. And it feels like that was a piece that hasn't been discussed. Yeah, in the way that... It's never discussed. Okay, so let's dispel confusion. Can you give me like the quick and dirty definition of placebo? Sure. A placebo, first of all, is not the effect of an inert substance. Inert substances don't have effects. Placebos are what surrounds inert substance or placebo pills that includes rituals, symbols, uncertainty, hope, and acts of human kindness. That combustible mix sometimes in some people makes people get better. And that's what a placebo effect is. Okay, so it sounds like what you're doing there is differentiating an inert substance that I might receive in that ritual environment of a doctor's office with the care, the consultation, the expectation from, you know, an inert substance that's like eating a red Skittle by myself. It really has to be sort of loaded with that cultural freight. Is that right? Yeah, I'm going to say that there has to be too much loaded because especially when you're dealing with chronic pain patients, which I think placebos are mainly helpful for, is just encountering a supportive, kind doctor and just normal routine care actually will elicit a placebo effect. And I think when most of us think of the of the placebo effect, we often do think of that inert substance. We imagine, you know, a little white pill with no medicine in it. What are the other form factors that a placebo can take? I mean, anything that essentially doesn't have any impact on a patient's condition could be called a placebo. Honest placebos don't have side effects. The dogma in medicine has been, since we began using placebo controls, is that if you know it's a placebo, you won't get a placebo effect. You have to fool, conceal, or deceive patients to get a placebo effect. Honest placebo, what's usually called open-label placebo, is giving patients placebo pills and telling them it doesn't have a pharmacological effect, 
But in some people, some of the time, just taking the pills, even if you don't believe it, even if you think it's crazy, will sometimes make the mind reformulate signals, perceptions, or symptoms and may have benefit for a person. That's what uh, honest placebo might mean. I think that's really counterintuitive and fascinating for it's most totally of us. It's totally counterintuitive. Our patients say, you must be kidding. And we say, listen, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. And we're trying it out. And if you decide to be in our study, all you have to do is take it twice a day for a number of weeks of the study. And people find it really hard. And we have to tell people that, listen, this does not mean it's in your head that you're getting a placebo response. Mm. In fact, the body has an internal pharmacy that releases neurotransmitters like endorphins, cannabinoids. Has a, we know it activates specific quantifiable areas in the brain that actually change how you perceive symptoms. When you talk about an honest placebo, I think I've also heard the term open-label placebo, where the patients who are receiving it know it's a placebo. Is that one way to address what might be like complicated ethical issues in providing people an inert substance? Yeah, open-label placebo is the, the usual way our team described an honest placebo. And basically, it is being very clear with absolute transparency and honesty that what we're giving you is a placebo. And you don't have to believe it, expect it, or hope it's going to help. And um, placebos have been tainted by the trickery, by deception, by concealment. And the idea that the placebo pill with no active ingredient, can still have benefits, can still have impact on patients for their benefit, is against the traditional dogma. And it's only in the last 10, 15 years that the evidence has been accumulating that placebos can benefit patients, even when they know it's placebo. And, and the reason that's really critical ethically is any form of open-label placebos are transparent, honest, have full informed consent. There's no deception or concealment. Placebos are really a tricky thing. They've been tainted by a myth or superstition that they work because you think you're going to get better. It's actually deeper than that. It's your body is doing something that tells it it can modulate the symptoms, turn down the false fires of many chronic symptoms, and actually deliver some comfort. And just to be clear, I think when you talk about you know this tainting of our association and our understanding of placebos, you're talking about the deception that was involved when we would provide an inert substance to a patient who didn't know that they were receiving an inert substance. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Or concealed okay. in a randomized controlled trial, which is ethical, but it still has this idea of trickery. Okay, so in your studies more generally, can you can you tell me when and how are placebos most helpful in medicine and what are the limits? Placebos don't shrink tumors. Placebos don't help malaria. What placebos are especially good for is chronic illnesses with chronic symptoms and what happens is many chronic symptoms are really the brain and the nervous system being hyperactive, uh, almost like a false alarm, and it amplifies the symptoms that we have. And what happens is with placebos, when taking the placebos, not thinking about placebos, but taking placebos, being in that ritual, the brain gets some feeling that it should turn down the volume. It doesn't have to amplify or increase the signal. And that's it's really a form of changing what the message is that the brain is interpreting in terms of discomfort. And it's mainly chronic symptoms that I think you have placebo effects. There are others, but that's the main place you see large, consistent placebo effects. 
So one of the studies I know that you've been personally involved in explores the promise of placebo treatment in patients who are receiving methadone to treat opioid addiction. And I know that that works with an honest placebo. So it's one where patients are aware of the fact that they're receiving placebo. But can you describe that study and how, what, what you found so far? Yeah, no, uh, that's a really exciting experiment. The first author and principal investigator is Annabelle Belcher at the University of Maryland. I was the last author and supportive character, but she deserves all the credit. What, what was interesting about that study, many things were interesting, was that we used open-label placebo and half the patients received their absolute usual care. Half the patients received their usual care plus placebo. So it had open label in it. But also we added conditioning because it's very easy to condition with opioids in the same way that you condition with Pavlov's dogs. You give them food with a bell, food with a bell. The third time, you just give them the bell. They get the same reaction. So in this experiment, we were hoping, and we did fine, that we gave them the methadone, an opioid, plus the placebo for a week or two. And eventually, we're hoping that the fake pill would have the effect of the opioid. And to our surprise, 100 patients were able to stay in the methadone program much more than people without the placebo pill. We followed them for three months. And the reason it was important, the main problem with most methadone programs is people drop out. Much fewer people dropped out of the program because of the placebo pill. Blew my mind reading that study. That was uh, that was like a pause, point at the computer screen, and like mouth along with the words to realize that, first of all, I hadn't been familiar with a conditioned open-label placebo. So you're providing patients with a methadone pill alongside a placebo, hoping to create then that association, just like in the Pavlovian model, where you ring a bell, you ring a bell, you ring a bell every time you serve dinner. And essentially, the bell itself elicits that salivary response. And it sounds like, at least in this first population, you're finding that the reported symptoms of the opioid users, they're lessening. There's some relief in the symptoms that they're hoping to treat. Is that is that right? Yeah. I want to say that open-label placebo plus conditioning is much newer. There's been at least a dozen trials showing that open-label placebo compared to it, no treatment or usual care, has a significant impact on illnesses like low back pain, irritable bowel syndrome, migraine headache, knee osteoarthritis pain, cancer-related fatigue, even menopause hot flashes. Hmm. And you've been studying this field of research for, for a long time. Can you tell me what is the most surprising finding of the past few years? Like, what are you most excited about now? I'm, it's still hard, counterintuitive to me on some level, because I believe the myth that you have to trick people to get placebo effects. I'm still amazed at the fact that we're getting these effects and hopefully, hopefully we'll be able at some point to use them. And do you think doctors will ever use these placebos fully? I want to tell you it's going to be slow. You will need more research to convince people. And doctors' self-identity is related to we don't use placebos. That said, I recently had conversations and hearings with the FDA, and I'm pretty sure there's not any regulatory barriers to using it. We, a little more clarification is going to happen, but that's clearly what's happening. And ethically, it conforms to the AMA's code of ethics. So I think it's going to be a slow process, but I'm hoping that for people that have not gotten benefit from very common symptoms like low back pain, migraine, irritable bowel syndrome, cancer-related fatigue, 
that at some point people will see that after the third failure of a drug, maybe we should try a placebo. Hmm. Professor Kapchuk, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. That was Ted Kapchuk, professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. 